Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. From now until Easter, we'll be tracing the events that led Jesus to the cross. Our guide will be a biography of Jesus written by a man named Mark. And tradition tells us that Mark's main source was Peter, one of the most important of Jesus' disciples. Peter was present for nearly all of the events that we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks. And if these events had taken place today, what likely would have happened is there would have been a documentary made about this and Peter would have been the main person interviewed, sharing firsthand experiences. We're going to start by picking up the story on the Wednesday of Holy Week. Passover is two days away and the religious authorities are plotting to kill Jesus, hoping to arrest him secretly and have him killed. But they have a problem, and that is that Jesus is very popular. With all the people in the city for the festival, they know they can't just march up and arrest him in the open. If they did, it's possible his supporters would riot. So they began scheming ways to grab him when no one was looking. On Wednesday, Jesus left Jerusalem, and he walked just a couple of miles to a small town called Bethany, and there he was the guest at a dinner party. At some point during the meal, a woman entered the room and surprised everyone by taking a pint, a jar, of expensive perfume, likely had a bottle top at the top, and she broke it off and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. And everyone gasped. Now, it wasn't uncommon for a host to anoint the head of a guest with some kind of perfume, but usually just a drop or two. But she didn't just use a drop. She poured the entire bottle over his head. And Mark tells us that the bottle was worth the equivalent of a year's wages, perhaps $50,000. The reaction of the crowd was immediate. Indignantly, they said to one another, what a waste. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. The conflict here is over values, about what truly matters. Those who watched this take place were shocked and offended, but Jesus had a very different reaction. Leave her alone, he said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing. Why did this woman do it? What was her motive? Well, John's version of this story tells us that her name was Mary. 
and that she had a brother named Lazarus. And about a month before the events that we're looking at today, Lazarus had grown quite ill. And pretty quickly, his condition deteriorated, and he died. Jesus, who was a friend of theirs, did the miraculous and brought Lazarus back to life. So perhaps Mary is simply saying thank you. Out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for her, she wants to honor him, and so she comes with the most valuable thing that she owns and does this beautiful thing. A friend of mine is a pastor, and years ago he was asked to speak at a conference in, of all places, Alaska. He even confessed that he agreed to go mostly because he'd never been to Alaska, and he wanted to see it. His topic was how to build churches that have strong volunteer teams. And he started by saying that the absolute worst way to recruit volunteers is guilt. And then he suggested a number of better strategies, including what he said was gratitude. And he explained that those who believe the church has made a, a significant difference in their lives are often willing to do even significant things, sacrifices, make sacrifices in order to serve the church. And then just to make his point, he said, let me just say to all of you, I would like some of you to meet me tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. to help me with a project. He said, would you show up? And then he said, none of you would. You don't know me. I've never done anything for you. What would motivate you to give up a couple of hours sleep to be here at 5 a.m. to help me out? Well, after he finished his talk, a young man walked up to him and said, I would. My friend looked at him and said, what, what would you? He said, I'd be here at 5 a.m. if you asked me to. And my friend thought, his first reaction was, there's always one in the crowd, you know, somebody who does something like that. But then he realized that this man looks serious. And finally he said to my friend, you don't remember me, do you? And he had to confess that he didn't, so he told him his name. And as soon as my friend heard this man's name, everything fell into place. He knew exactly why this man would show up at 5 a.m., you see, 20 years earlier, this young man had been a middle school student in the church that my friend was the pastor of. He'd gone through a rough patch at home, and those problems spilled over into difficulties at school and left him feeling alone and depressed. But that church's youth group came around this kid and really gave him a place to belong. In fact, the pastor himself met with this student several times over the next couple of years, and eventually things got better. The young man explained that after high school, he'd gone to college, and when he went to college, he met a young girl, they fell in love, they got married, and eventually his job took him to, of all places, Alaska. Now he had a couple of kids, and they were involved in a church, and he was even a leader. And he told my friend, none of this would have been possible without what you and the church did for me. So yes, I would show up at 5 a.m. Jesus had done an amazing thing for Mary, and that is why she was so motivated to do something for him. But that said, I think there's even a more important reason why she did what she did for him. It's more than just gratitude. It's also love. In the story, Jesus tells Mary's critics to leave her alone. And then he says, she has done a beautiful thing, a beautiful act of love. Now, to gratitude and love, Jesus adds a third reason for why what she did was so important. And this time, it's something that even she didn't fully grasp at the time. You see, Jesus says that what she's done is to prepare his body for burial. Three times in the uh, months that led up to this event, Jesus has predicted to his disciples his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and eventually his resurrection. And three times the disciples didn't get it. But it seems that Mary had an intuition that something was about to happen. So Jesus wanted everyone to know that Mary 
What she did was even more significant than she imagined. Her generosity, her act of extravagant love was preparing his body for the suffering that he would soon experience. Now when Mary approached Jesus, she was not calculating the cost. It was an act of extravagant love, a gesture of, of pure devotion. And if others thought it was extravagant or wasteful, she didn't care. She simply wanted to let Jesus know how much she loved him. Now before we move on though, there is this lingering question that's been raised by the critics and that is, what about the poor? And on the surface, they have a point. After all, $50,000 is a lot of money to pour down the drain. It's telling though that the person that is most upset with Mary, John tells us, is Judas. And Judas, we learned from John, loved money. In fact, he'd been embezzling money from the disciples' money bag for a long time. Now even if the perfume had been, had, had been sold, and the money given to the poor, it's likely that Judas would have taken a cut. But still it begs a question. Imagine how much good could have been done with $50,000. And it's troubled people for centuries. What Jesus says, the way he responds when he says the poor, you'll always have with you. What Jesus says is often though misunderstood because it sounds like he's being callous to the needs of the poor. To be clear, he is not saying that they are to ignore the needs of the poor. In fact, he adds here, you can help them anytime you want. So this isn't an excuse for stinginess. He's not saying that poverty, just because it seems intractable, is a problem to ignore. We can't remain complacent. In fact, he says really the opposite. The verse he quotes here is from Deuteronomy chapter 1511. The verse that many people in the audience that day would have known. And the first half says, there will always be poor people in the land. But to complete the thought, the second half says, Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. So even if the problems of poverty are insurmountable, the people were to remain generous. The point isn't to ignore the needs of the poor, but to take care of them. But the larger point here in this particular story is that Mary understood what was most important. She loved Jesus for who he was. She wanted to express her love in a tangible way. And Jesus was pleased with what she did, not because he really liked the smell of Chanel number no. 5, but with her commitment and devotion to him. And Mary didn't care what other people thought. She only cared about honoring Jesus. John tells us that Jesus, or Mary's chief critic here was Judas. And he says openly that she wasted the perfume. But who do you really believe is a better friend of the poor here? Judas or Mary. You see, Judas didn't care for the poor. He only cared about himself. It's interesting the way that Mark tells this story. He bookends it on the front end with the religious authorities' evil intent, their desire to arrest and have Jesus killed. And on the back end with Judas's treachery and in between this story of devotion. Immediately after the incident, we're told that Judas went to the chief priests and agreed to betray Jesus. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The way that Mark tells the story, really, is that this was the last straw. There was a lot going on with Judas that we don't have time to talk about, but this was the last thing, the thing that offended him beyond everything else that he'd ever seen Jesus do before. And so he handed Jesus over to the authorities. And some of you know that in other texts we find out that he was given 30 pieces of silver for this, this betrayal. What you may not know is that the perfume that Mary used, we're told, was worth 300 pieces of silver. So I find the math here fascinating. 
Judas, who was so concerned about money, concerned enough that he suggested the perfume should have been sold and the money given to the poor, was willing to betray Jesus, knowing it would lead to his death for 30 pieces of silver, about a month's wages. But Mary spent 300 pieces of silver to buy this perfume to honor Jesus and to take things one step further. In just a few days, Jesus would shed his precious blood, priceless blood, for our salvation. So we really need to get the math here right. So how do we get it right? How do we honor Jesus? And the answer is to do what Mary did, to do beautiful things for Jesus. Often we do this by doing the things that we know God wants us to do, following the commands, the impulses, the things that we're told to do, serving others, including serving the poor. But it is also to do little useless things to show our gratitude and devotion to Jesus. You know, we live in a culture that has a fear of commitment. We're always careful before we sign on the dotted line. So we live together before we're married because we're not quite ready to commit, even though social scientists tell us that doing so means a higher likelihood of a divorce once we do marry. We take jobs already thinking about the next job and the next job beyond that. And we make financial commitments while looking at the fine print for loopholes. But Mary committed to Jesus without demanding to know how things would turn out. She gave herself herself wholeheartedly to him because he had given himself to her. And as we'll learn in the weeks to come, Jesus paid the ultimate price to secure our salvation. So can we not in turn commit to follow him out of gratitude and love? A relationship with God is not a bargain. That's the Judas way. The idea that if we do what he asks of us, we keep the Ten Commandments, we give to those in church or the poor, um, then he owes us. He's obligated to make us happy. But the commitment that Jesus asks us to make and the one that Mary made to him is a commitment of all that we are because God wants more than our stuff. He wants us. He wants all that we do, an unconditional commitment to obey him and all that we have because that's what Mary did. She did not think twice about giving Jesus the most precious thing that she owned. So instead of thinking about what we have to give up to follow Jesus. We need to remember that what we have in Jesus is far greater than what we must give up. When I was in middle school, I read the famous story by O. Henry called The Gift of the Magi. Maybe you've read the story as well. I was reminded of it over Christmas when Kathy and I stumbled on a video, a YouTube video of a couple of actors in New York um, staging a dramatic presentation of this famous story. It begins with a poor young couple named Della and Jim who are very much in love. And each of them has a prized possession. For her, it's her beautiful long hair. And for him, it's a gold watch. Christmas is coming and each wants to buy the other a memorable present, but neither of them have much money. So on the day before Christmas, Della goes and she sells her hair and takes the money and buys an expensive gold chain for his expensive watch. At the same time, Jim goes and sells the watch in order to buy Della an expensive set of tortoiseshell combs for her hair. When they come home to exchange gifts, they find that the other has given, really, almost a priceless gift. They've given almost everything that they have. And left with gifts that neither one of them can use, they realize how far they've been willing to go to express their love for one another, how priceless their love really is. Jesus gave us all that he had, his life. 
Can we not give our lives to him in return and know that when we do, we are promised riches that this world knows nothing of? Let's pray. Father, we are well aware of how the story we're looking at in the weeks to come will lead straight to the cross. It was there that Jesus gave himself for us. In light of that, we give ourselves to you. May we learn from Mary's example of extravagant love and give you all that we are, all that we do, and all that we have. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.